Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone picker, picker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Turning of the Bones podcast. I'm your host, Colby Marie, it's so nice to have you here, it's so nice to sit down, record another episode, we're approaching a year of this, so thank you all so much for tuning in once again, thank you for, yeah, living your lives, showing up, being a human in this crazy carnival, the circus of life, I want to thank my guest from last week again, Ali Ryan. It was, uh, it was such a blast to sit down and have a chat with her about accountability, and I'm still pouring through that episode. There was so much there, and I felt really proud of it. So if you heard it, thank you so much. If not, <clears throat> maybe go back and take a listen to the two episodes on accountability. They This has been a pretty nourishing and challenging series of podcasts to put together on my end. I wasn't quite prepared for all of the emotions that this was going to stir up. I did not, not prepared. I am prepared. Got a good meditation practice. I've been working out every morning. Been eating healthy. Still off the cigs. So I'm as prepared as I can be. I didn't really anticipate the depth of emotions tied to these topics for for tons of reasons there's so much in this world that we're seeing right now where it's you know I think we're all asking for accountability from our leaders from one another from you know institutions and businesses and there's just a lot going on there and I sat down this week and had a chat with a listener to the podcast and she she really enjoyed the two episodes on accountability and then said well what's next forgiveness (laughs) to which I kind of like uh, I think awkwardly chuckled I think somehow I knew that this was going to be a big one and she she said I really want to know I really want to know if I forgive too much if I forgive too easily if I'm not forgiving right and I think it it really made me think about what a complicated thing forgiveness is and if you ever want to go down just an infinite rabbit hole of information, science, neurology, 
recaps of horrifically traumatic events, spiritual anecdotes, just just set yourself on the task of trying to understand forgiveness because this week is it's really blown my mind like on one level it's it's blown my mind how resilient we are as humans just the the sheer volume of tragic stories that exist on TED uh, if you're not familiar with TED it's you know the TED talks I think it's pretty ubiquitous now it's part of the zeitgeist of our times there's just so many just profound stories on on TED and YouTube has a ton and I really just jumped in with both feet and I'm honestly a little nervous to do this podcast because I'm not sure at the end of this I'm not sure that forgiveness is something that we can totally understand with our minds I think it's kind of a mind heart-body connection there's multiple systems firing I think inside of forgiveness and I don't think that there's like a clear-cut answer for like how to do it Um, I don't think it's something that you can fake it until you make it Um, I think if you're faking it you're probably burying a lot of emotions tied to the harm that was caused or the experience you had and so I'm gonna jump in And I just want to let you know that I'm not totally sure where this is going to go. I think I've prepped for this podcast more than I've prepped for any other podcast that I've done. And I feel the least prepared to talk about this. And I think for me what that really points to is that I don't think forgiveness is something that I'll ever fully understand. And I think that it's an ongoing practice like so much of what I talk about on this podcast it's something that in one way or another you're in relationship with daily because we're in relationship with other people and so I'm going to start off here just talking about like some of the misconceptions around forgiveness because this was pretty pretty common across the board Uh, listen to this TED talk by Sarah Montana and she said something really profound early on at at the beginning of her TED talk she said we create monsters and villains out of people to keep our grief at bay and so I think that that is a nice place to start because so much of what I've discovered this week and researching forgiveness is about getting in touch with our humanity our capacity for messiness our ability to hurt one another both intentionally and unintentionally and the dynamic dance of what it takes to be in relationship with other people and I think that you know so much of the the tone whether it's politically or socially or racially that is going on right now and especially with social media is like there are a lot of monsters and villains out there and it's hard to get into the nuance of some of this stuff. And so, that being said, some of the misconceptions around forgiveness, um, they're like some spiritual ones, right? Like, just let it go, right? Like, <laughs> I wish it was that simple. Like, I was, I'm carrying this thing that happened in my pocket, and oh, it's like weighing me down. I'll just take it out of my pocket and leave it here by the river. 
and then go on about my business and it'll never come back up. So I think that just letting it go is a bit sim too simple and it's like by degree, right? Like it's easy to let it go if uh, somebody bumps into me at the grocery store, but if I'm standing next to a cliff when I'm out camping and somebody bumps into me and I fall and break both my legs, those are very different <clears throat> things to forgive and the impact of one may be easy to let go and the impact of the other may be incredibly difficult. So like letting it go, being above it, uh, kind of this spiritual, what are they called? Spiritual, uh, oh my God, the name is escaping me. Spiritual bypassing, where you kind of use a spiritual teaching to get around doing the messy emotional work of being with your feelings. I think be above it, let it go. Um, I think those are two pretty common like ways around actually getting into forgiveness, which I'll talk about you know, as we go on. Another misconception is like, I'm a good person, I should forgive people. Uh, anytime you're shooting, like I should do something, that's for me that's a red flag, that like there's something, I'm probably putting an inordinate amount of pressure on myself to be somewhere I'm not, or be somebody I'm not, or feel something I'm not experiencing. Um, and just obviously that like forgiving equals good, you know, we have the legacy of Jesus, the Buddha, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King. I mean, just tons of people where, I mean, you could, you could spend an entire day collecting memes and quotes written by these icons of goodness that set a pretty high standard, especially if you're like really having a hard time forgiving somebody, you're feeling all the uncomfortable emotions that go along with that process, you know, anger, rage, sadness, numbness disassociation if you're feeling some of those and you just like want to speed to the end and you read a quote like that it sets a pretty high bar it's like hey get a get an a plus in calculus and i haven't taken geometry yet so i think the spiritual misconceptions that these are like just inherent traits that we have um which i'll get to later i think some people are predisposed to forgiveness part nature, part nurture. But this, this pressure that we put on ourselves to, to kind of, this kind of mistaken belief that forgiveness is a shortcut to healing or being over something or not feeling the emotions that you actually felt. And I just think that there's you know, it's like a version of gaslighting yourself in a way that if if I can shortcut, if I can just for, say I forgive this person, then I won't have to feel any of the harm or the impact of their behaviors on me. And so I just I try to look out for that stuff inside myself, especially as I continue to develop self-awareness and practice self-reflection, that some of the some of the pressure that I put on myself is really, I don't think it's helping the process. And most of what I, I heard online supported this, that, you know, most of us think that forgiving is a shortcut to healing and healing like we know with injury or trauma takes time. And so 
I think that, you know, socially we value people who forgive um, in groups because they, they help keep the, the cohesiveness of the group and the group alive and there's a sociological function and as children we can learn to be the peacekeepers as a form of self-abandonment. And so there's just, there's a lot going on there in how we, how we look at and value forgiveness. Um, some other misconceptions are forgiveness releases the offender from consequences like if I forgive you then you won't be held accountable and you might not change your behavior uh, another misconception is that forgiveness and reconciliation go together uh, forgiveness as I'm coming to learn is an internal process that has you know very little to do with the other person reconciliation is a two-party process and I think I talked about that more in accountability. Another misconception is we need to wait until we feel like forgiving, like there's some divine moment where grace is going to strike us. You know, the hand of Jesus reached down from the sky and touched me upon my bosom, and all of a sudden, all of the slights I'd experienced dissolved into the ocean. And I felt at peace finally. I mean, then I just, you know... That can happen. Grace is a real thing. Prayer is a real thing. The, your spiritual your spiritual squad can help you through a lot of things. And it, sometimes grace does open up. But I think waiting until you feel like forgiving is, for me anyways, it's been like putting off homework. <laughs> it's been like, you know, this week I've really realized like, holy shit, I'm prepping this podcast. Like I've put off quite a bit of forgiving. I've put off the work that I'm going to need to do to actually forgive some people for some things that they've done and forgive myself for letting that happen. And so it's just, yeah, it just, it's, it's, it's homework to me. It's a, it's a part of life. It's something that we're, we're going to go through. We all suffer. We all cause suffering intentionally or unintentionally. And so for me, it's like, I don't know. I think, I think that one, I think that one can be a little tricky, you know, like sometimes you do need to wait until you have the time and space and safety and security to actually, you know, like we talked about in the accountability podcast, you have to know what safe feels like before you can go into healing or grief work or forgiveness. And so take that one with a grain of salt. Genuine forgiveness needs to happen immediately. You know, I need to forgive you right after you slap me in the face because uh, you were having a bad day and I can empathize. Forgiveness means that we need to treat the person who harmed us like nothing ever happened. I think that that, that's just a form of gaslighting. You know, if somebody who harmed you asked you to treat them the exact same, then they need to do their work on their guilt and shame. Uh, if we're spiritual, we should be able to forgive on our own without anyone's help. <clears throat> and that self-forgiveness is selfish. Um, yeah, I think there's a whole lot of spiritual identity tied up in this. And the biggest thing that, you know, this is just a fundamental truth that I keep coming back to is that mistakes are going to happen. You know, there's a degree of severity of the mistakes, you know. Drunk driving and killing somebody is much more severe than getting the date and time wrong for an appointment. You know, there's there's by degree. Mistakes happen due to lack of understanding, wrong education, wrong indoctrination, 
and emotional outburst is we don't know how to control our rage, anger, and frustrations. You know, when sometimes uncontrolled emotions or unresolved traumas or, you know, the buildup of a tough day, they, they all of a sudden uncontrolled emotions spring into action and then they become a mistake or a harm when we hurt other people. And... And that's just complicated. It's just one of those truths that that just is, you know. Mistakes are going to happen. The universe, God, or however you, whatever lens you look at reality through, it's just going to keep doing what it does. You know, today I was I was saging my apartment, and it's kind of you know pre-podcast ritual. I'm going through the house, I vacuumed, I wiped down all the surfaces, I'm getting ready, I'm getting in my zone for this, and I'm saging the apartment, I'm kind of waving it around, ring a couple bells, and all of a sudden I feel this burning on my shoulder, and a piece of the sage had landed on my shoulder and burnt a hole in my brand new sweatshirt that I've been wearing for a week, because I love a brand new sweatshirt, and I was really bummed out, I was really having a hard time with the fact that this mistake happened, you know, this mistake, you know, that incredibly superficial, but I was upset with the universe, you know, I felt like, damn, come on, I'm trying to get ready for this podcast, I'm trying, you know, all these things came online in my brain and my heart, and I was like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just angry, I'm just gonna lay down and feel like I'm angry that something I just bought got a big hole burnt in it, I'm gonna lay here, I'm gonna take some deep breaths, and accept that fucking everything's out of my control and all I can do is show up for how I feel about it and be with my emotions in a mature way you know it would have been really easy to you know former younger versions of myself would have maybe thrown up thrown a fit ripped it off thrown my foot whatever but you know with the right tools can accept that mistakes are going to happen and so I kind of want to bounce around here a little bit and I wanted to jump into I wanted to jump into a bit of the mystical realm and read the description from a, a couple of tarot cards that I think really quite accurately um, describe the, the, the energetic vibe of pre-forgiveness emotions. Pre-acceptance emotions. I think forgiveness is kind of synonymous with acceptance. And the first one I want to read is the Nine of Swords. And you don't need to know anything about the tarot to, to get the poetic point I'm, I want to lay out here for you. So the Nine of Swords. It's a really beautiful card. It, it's got this ominous vibe. It's really dark. And then there, there are nine swords pointing at somebody huddled in a corner. And the description of the card goes on to read... A person wakes from a nightmare, still caught in the shadows of anxiety. Their fears, concerns, and regrets point sharply at them like sinister forces. Their thoughts have piled up in their sleep, steeped in worry and doubt, creating a very intimate flavor of misery. They can feel the darkness closing in. The Nine of Swords challenges you to sift reality out from the imaginary. Irrational thinking like dreams can become cyclical. Deal with the facts 
and ground in yourself in the rational. Your peace of mind depends on it. <clears throat> I just, I, I love that image of somebody kind of sitting terrified and the reframing that most of that is internally created. That there understandably are things that happen to us. They can result in severe anxiety or fears. And at some point, we carry these things around with us. And I think that having a traumatic event or having extreme harm happen to you, I don't know, in my experience, like even with just the sweatshirt, you know, just like I'm like, all of a sudden I felt completely trapped by my emotions and all of this frustration, this fear about doing this podcast, the, the memory of, you know, having things I liked ruined in the past, like it all kind of comes back and it takes like a significant act to reclaim your peace of mind because we all have the ability to kind of live in that, like that hell, that, that fear center in our brain, that reptilian center that keeps the fear so close because it's like, if I don't, it's like, if I don't remind you that we're afraid of this shit, you might die again. And so I just really like that Nine of Swords. It's kind of what pre-forgiveness feels like to me. And then the other card that I really enjoyed is Judgment. And in Judgment, there's a picture of some scales with a, like a thin veneer over it. And I, I think it's kind of like the invitation to, to resolve what the Nine of Swords is kind of pointing at. Judgment. Coming to terms with our past changes us and fosters healing. It renews our ability to love purely, to flow freely, and to transcend our struggles. Judgment is a voice calling from deep within you, a distant yet familiar invitation. It requires intention and a significant act of bravery, uncovering and arousing the enshrouded memories of your past. If you accept the invitations, they will rise up fully exposed. Now is your best opportunity to face them, forgive them, and move on once and for all. And so I think this, this invitation, right, like to go back to the misconception that you need to wait till you feel like it. I think, I think healing or looking at our judgments about a situation or forgiveness can really happen at any time. And that every TED Talk I listened to, whether it was horrific childhood trauma or murder, that each person, even if they didn't lay out exactly what forgiveness is, hearing the story of how they got there, I think that's part of the journey of forgiveness is listening to other people's stories, their, their progress of coming to terms with things and accepting. Even the most horrific, horrific events that what happened once they began that journey is that love and love flowed more purely and freely and that you know even if they weren't able to let's say something bad happened in a dark alleyway even if they didn't feel safe at night in the streets by themselves after an attack <clears throat> the way that forgiving the transgressor 
opened their heart created more freedom for them. And so I really think the invitation is, is to be free of these kind of energetic bonds that we have to the people that hurt us. And, you know, so many, like myself, you know, like when I went on <laughs> this internet journey, I was like, well, what do we do? Like, it's got to be like, you know, we've been talking about forgiveness forever. You know, I'm sure there's stuff out there. Maybe there are books that I didn't have time to find or authors who, you know, might lay it out. I'm not saying don't look, but, you know, I asked, what do I do? How do I forgive? And it's just the wrong question. Um, I think the question is, is like, what is forgiveness? And the closest thing I found that I could think of is like forgiveness is actually grief work. And I've talked a bit about grief on this podcast, but forgiveness is self-empowering and self-healing work. And it really has, you know, like losing a loved one, you don't have access to that person while you're grieving. And so the work that you're actually doing is, uh, you know, it's internal work. And I think that working towards forgiveness that you can bounce around from any of the stages of grief, whether it's denial where you're kind of like, oh, it's not that big a deal, you know, like other people had it worse or you minimize your grief. Um, there's anger, like just, you know, screw you. How could you do this to me? What's your problem? There's bargaining, like, you know, negotiating. Well, like maybe if like it would have been a little different, uh, there's depression, just extreme sadness about the event. And then eventually, you know, there's acceptance. And I don't think they happen in a linear fashion. I don't think forgiveness happens in a linear fashion. I think that you can bounce around any of those. And I think that for some of us, it takes more work because we weren't taught how to forgive or it wasn't modeled for us. Uh, I think that... I think some of us it comes naturally to and for me I, I, I was really blown away I found out about this term called trait forgiveness where someone they're, they're people and they've done studies on this they're people who are actually prone to forgiveness and psychologists and neurobiologists kind of think it is a predisposition which you know begs the question of intergenerational trauma um, how you were raised prenatal care, uh, postnatal care. Um, but they, they basically said, for whatever reason, some people seem to be more prone to forgiveness. And I think that when I thought about this, I was like, yeah, I used to be really forgiving. And then as I got boundaries, I became less forgiving in certain areas, but maintained like a base level of forgiveness, like for, you know, stuff that's easy to forgive or stuff that isn't too close to my family of origin that you know I think some people have a hard time forgiving and I think that could be neurological I think it could be the way you're raised um, but forgiveness is like hugely hugely socially beneficial which is why I think it's so pervasive in so many spiritual religious texts you know we we live and are raised in social groups, the family, the community, the tribe, at work, in social groups. Um, you know, it, it, it helps with cohesion. It helps with task completion. If, if everyone's running around with a bunch of grudges towards one another, people aren't going to, 
you know, tend the crops, go hunting. So I think it's genetically a necessity for us and why I think so many of us feel, at least for me, like I feel when I haven't forgiven somebody, it's like something's grating inside my soul. It's just, it's a really uncomfortable feeling. It's just like something's a little out of balance, you know. And, you know, it's not only sociological, like soci socially beneficial, it's also physically beneficial. Like, it seems like everything I read, scientists, religious, poets, philosophers, all agree that forgiving others makes us happier, healthier, kinder, and feel more connected. And that it helps us move on with our lives, not tethered to the event. You know, we're not with this energetic connection to the thing that happened to us and we quit leaking emotional energy. You know, it's why like pre-forgiveness, you feel really draining and unproductive. It's like, there's so many physical benefits of, of forgiving people. So there's, there's a biological imperative to not carry around that stress and that anger. Brett Reinhardt wrote, whether it's a simple spat with your spouse or a long-held resentment toward a family member or friend, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize. It may be affecting your physical health. The good news, studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards on your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels, and sleep and reducing your pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. Research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection as you age. So cool, it's healthy to forgive. There's like, I'm gonna be a healthier, happier person, to lower anxiety. There's like, there's this really interesting connection that I'm, I'm coming to realize between these kind of big spiritual topics and then just like some basic biology that these things are ubiquitous in all these historical texts and all these contemplations of these great minds because they actually help us on a fundamental material level. It helps my heart rate. It helps my health. It, it's 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 tied to well-being. There's a really great, I mean, there's so many great stories about forgiveness, but one of the ones that I like the best, and I think the story, you can kind of tell at the end of the story, like who, who's, who's chiller, who's got more chill. <laughs> um, it's the story of the two monks in the river, and this is a Buddhist parable. And the story goes, there are two monks traveling down the road. There's a senior practitioner and a, a younger monk. And these monks have taken, taken their vows, their precepts, and they have vowed to never touch a woman or never take a lover. And so inside of their abstinence, they, they practice this day in and day out. And these two monks are going along. And they come to a river and they see uh, a young woman struggling to cross the river. And without hesitation, the older monk pulls up, ties his robe, 
walks out into the river, picks up the young woman, carries her across the river. The, the young monk looks very perplexed, but follows. And they cross the river. The older monk sets the woman down. She thanks him. He nods, and they head on their way. In the first hour, the younger monk's just like, how, how in the hell could he, how in the hell could he uh, have touched her? You know, we took a vow. He's, he's like a, a big deal in the monastery. How, how in the hell could he have... Jesus, Louise, like, does this mean anything to do vows? Do I even need to, he starts unraveling and, you know, another hour goes by and he thinks, this guy has taught me so much, but then he just breaks these vows. Like, can I respect anything that he's taught me? This is just so, this is so egregious. And a third hour goes by and the, the older monk looks back at the younger monks and he says, you seem disturbed. And the younger monk says, yes, we've, we've taken a vow of celibacy and abstaining from touching women is integral to the vow. You know, how could you have carried that woman across the river? And the older monk says, I set her down on the edge of the river. You've been carrying her this whole way. And so just that little, like, I just love that story, this little snapshot of who is in distress about the situation and who isn't and how you know working towards forgiveness or setting things down you know obviously it's an older monk right this person is wisdom and is practiced and is is well versed in the nuances of life and this younger monk who hasn't practiced these things is, is kind of twisted in his britches and seems like he's not doing well i just love that story you know of a young monk experiencing all of these mental health symptoms of not letting shit go or not like uh, working through the complex of emotions of understanding, you know, these, these things that are coming up and that, you know, he couldn't forgive the monk for making an exception to his vows to help somebody. It's a really fascinating story and I, I, I love it. I think... I think it's a process for all of us, you know. We're never either the older monk or the younger monk, you know. I think we can be either one. I would like to, you know, just be in the place where the older monk is someday, but I'm not there yet. So I'm going to keep looking at this forgiveness business. And so there are huge physical benefits, biological, physical, um, which I think goes without saying, I think anybody who's experienced the challenging emotions leading up to acceptance and forgiveness or anybody experiencing grief, you know, can think of a sleepless night. And so I became really curious, okay, there's this biological connection to forgiveness. What's the neurological, the neuro, uh, neurocognitive science of this? And this is where it got like super fascinating. And this may just descend into a rant of tangents at this point because this comp this this topic is so complex. And so uh, cognitive neurologists have, I think that's what they're called. They have studied the brain by mapping by doing fMRIs where they map activity in the regions of the brain. And they have discovered, several things so like inside of 
when they study forgiveness and people who are working on forgiveness, you know, hooked up to machines, they see activity in the limbic system and the amygdala, which is the emotional, the limbic and amygdala are like emotional centers of the brain. They see activity in the frontal lobe, but there's this really fascinating. So what I want to get into is kind of the thought processes that go into forgiveness. And a huge one that everybody talked about was imagining being able to get out of the harm that you experienced and imagining the context in which the other person harmed you. And that can happen through a conversation if you're doing reconciliation, or it can happen internally by cultivating empathy. But empathy isn't something that that we all have. It's something that we learn, but we all have the capacity for it. And there's really exciting neuroscience coming out that's uh, attached to the theory of mind. And theory of mind is basically that empathy and being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes, being able to ascribe mental states to others and surmising what is or what was happening in their mind, that that nature of their mind needs to be inferred. Like you need to be able to have a skill which is imagining that other people may see the world differently than you do. And we don't all, we're not born with that. It's something that we learn. So each human can only intuit so much, you know, like I only know so much about what's going on in my own head. It's taken a lot of meditation to get more clear about how that works, to, you know, heed Socrates' Cree, to know thyself, to understand the operating manual of this specific brain, body, mind, and heart. And so you can only get so much of what's going on inside of you. It's just an incredibly complex system. And in India, I've heard it said that like even human beings are even confusing to Lord Shiva or God. And so we can only get so much (laughs) of what we have going on, but it's like we even, it's even more complicated and the skill that we have to develop to understand what's going on in other people. And so there's this thing that happens in children between ages three and five, and it's a pretty huge developmental milestone. And it's when we start to understand that other people can have different beliefs and thoughts than our own, and that there are consequences to the people having those beliefs. And so total nerd alert, this is called the right temporal parietal junction. This area function, this area's function is to think about other people's thoughts. And it's like the size of an acorn and it's behind your right ear. And so this area is only active when you're thinking about what other people are thinking. So for example, if I showed you a picture of a mother holding her child and gazing into its eyes as it sleeps, this part of your brain would light up because you would be thinking that mother is probably thinking loving thoughts or you know you would begin to create a a mental map of what that person might be thinking before ages three to five this isn't online and I'll, i'll tell you about this test it's really cool so to to understand when children pass this 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 stage and this is also something that I think they they use in part maybe when they're diagnosing people uh, with autism or other other neural divergence but basically the example is is they hold up a box of crayons to a child and they say 
Timmy, what do you think is in the box of crayons? Timmy says, crayons. So they open up the box and pour it out, and it's candles. It's birthday candles. So Timmy, who's three years old, now knows that inside of the box are candles and not crayons. So in Timmy's mind, the box is only holding candles. So what happens is they hold up a stuffed animal, and they say, well, if I showed Snoopy this box of crayons, what would Snoopy think is inside the box? And the child, before this area starts to come online, says candles because before we start to develop this region in our brain the only thing we can imagine is what we know so the other person knows what we know because their mind is like our mind at five the child very easily answers when when snoopy is shown the box of crayons the child very easily answers well, Snoopy would think there are crayons in it. Why wouldn't Snoopy think there are crayons? Like, I know there are candles in it, but Snoopy's just being shown a box of crayons. So why, duh, why wouldn't Snoopy be, be sure that these are crayons? And so it's, it's like, it's a way that we start mapping other human beings and social relationships and people you no longer you have more information you have a better idea through experience and as we get older this continues to develop it made me really wonder that if people who really struggle with accountability like have or like narcissism or sociopaths if they had like you know some early childhood trauma that stunted the development of this region of the brain I just I'm excited to see what else comes out of these studies that are happening at MIT right now around this. But it really got me thinking that like okay, so we've got something that's hardwired to help us with this process of forgiveness, right? Cuz really every talk and everything I read is that at some point in the process of forgiveness, you know, the watershed moment is contextualizing the other person, the person who caused the harm inside of their life. And that having empathy for them and what they must be going through in their suffering somehow takes that rough edge off of the pre-acceptance forgiveness process, you know, what we call negative emotions like anger or rage or I don't like calling them negative emotions, but they quite frequently get labeled that way. They're just emotions, and they may be uncomfortable, but a lot of the shifts that I heard, the consistent theme I heard in all of the stuff that I read was there's a point where the victim starts to cultivate empathy for the person who harmed them. And this was like in murder cases, extreme child abuse cases, and I think that it takes work to use this part of our brain. It takes counseling, it takes coaching. You know, I heard uh, a really violent offender talk about cultivating empathy for the parent that severely abused him um, and how that process happened inside of a therapeutic group. And so I think we really need other people because when we're in conflict when we've been harmed this part of our brain is like probably on hyperdrive and so like it may be ascribing really shitty intentions to the other person or like we're all we're using this ability in this part of our brain when we're creating kind of something out of nothing you know 
we don't totally know because the person maybe not be able to explain why they did something or we don't know because we don't have access to or don't want to talk to the person who armed us and we're doing this work on our own and there's this really great quote from philip roth that goes and yet what are we to do about this terribly significant business of other people so ill-equipped are we to envision one another's interior workings the fact remains that getting people right is not what living is all about anyway it's getting them wrong that is living getting them wrong and wrong and wrong and upon careful reconsideration getting them wrong again so I think a big piece of forgiveness that for me is just accepting what I don't know which is pretty much everything and I'm like never going to know someone's motives what somebody else thought 100% but acknowledging that there's another person in the context of their life what they did made sense to them like we really want to have shared reality like we want to sit down and we have language for this and we have you know facial expressions and communication like we really I think one of our deepest needs is to have a shared reality you know to understand why and how something happened to agree that it did happen right like say I'm punched in the face like hey you punched me in the face yeah I punched you in the face that that was kind of shitty of me to do so like acknowledging that something happened like having a shared reality can diffuse so much of the process of like amends you know just admitting that something happened and then you know I think I think this part of our brain is like really useful and so cool but also can create a lot of separation and so sometimes like having a shared reality isn't available so doing this work of really cultivating empathy for the other person is is huge like trying to imagine the circumstances that could have led them you know because we all know this at this point hurt people hurt people and i've hurt people and so trying to cultivate some compassion there and the American Psychic, Psychiatric Association said something really cool. Forgiveness may occur in the absence of reconciliation, and reconciliation may occur in the ab absence of forgiveness. And so the first part of that I think is really important. Like you don't always have to work through this with the other person because so much of this is so much of this is, is really our work to do, or you know, my work to do in the healing process. And so I'm just gonna take a little pause here after that. I'm gonna hit my vape. Really just, I have so many notes here. This is like incredible. And I hope it's, hope you're getting something from this because there's just, there's so much. So inside of this idea, theory of mind it's 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 typically assumed that other minds are analogous to our own so this is this assumption that all of our brains make that this other person it's like it's i think it's like it's shorthand because our brains do so much that they have to take shortcuts you know just to experience reality whole my guess is pretty overwhelming and so our brains really help mitigate that and so our brains assume that other minds are similar to ours and I I know that 
an example I can give of this is like once I've healed something or like once I've learned something, I assume everybody knows it. And I don't think that's arrogance. I think that's just a neurological shortcut because it's now become my reality. So I assume it's everybody's reality where in so many instances, something I know is probably not something somebody else knows and vice versa. Like I'm pretty sure if I just talked to a stranger on the street, they wouldn't know that being a circle of the moon druid in Dungeons and Dragons is actually awesome if you want to be an attacking druid because you get more hit points. Like that's just absurd, right? Like, but we do that so many times in our day-to-day -day life. We assume that other brains are analogous to ours, and this assumption is based on the reciprocal social interaction and observed joint attention. So, like. I'll break that down a little bit like we assume that other people's minds are like ours because I'm like hey that's a tree and they're like yeah that's a tree hey that's a spruce tree yeah I agree that's a spruce tree that tree has no leaves yes I agree that tree has no leaves so we think our minds are experiencing the same thing when in actuality the shape that that's taking for somebody else may be totally different than the shape it's taking for me the emotional connections there are totally different and that's you know a really trippy and amazing thing about humans is that we've created language so that we can share reality and so using you know the functional use of language and the under we use this to try to understand other people's emotions and actions and it's really you know it's like a couple degrees removed from reality so having a theory of mind allows one to attribute thoughts, desires, and intentions to other people and predict or explain their actions and posit their intentions. As originally defined, it enables one to understand that mental states can be the cause of and thus be used to explain and predict the behavior of others. And so we use this theory of mind to try to understand why people do what they do. I mean, this, this goes back as like far as time, like why is there war? Why do people hurt one another? Why do people do nice things? This is basically how we navigate the complexity of human social situations. Because we are communal beings and we need to maintain certain relationships. I wasn't born with the ability to feed myself so I had to maintain the relationships inside of my home. So my brain needed to start to map how and why people do things. And it's just a fascinating aspect of being a human that inside of that, we have the capacity to accept things and make our peace with stuff that wouldn't have been our preference you know like almost everybody in their 20s goes through this phase where you get kind of pissed at your parents it's like a late adolescence thing and you you know why did you do this why did you make this decision and so inside of like trying to un like you know this this process of seeing your parents as people and not these kind of demigods of creation and sustenance that through that there there comes a bit of tearing it apart and then there there comes this beautiful part where you start to understand them whether it's through empathy or conversation and we have this this beautiful ability to 
create mental constructs out of other people and collect data based off of their behaviors and actions. And I just, I think that's amazing. And so, yeah, absolutely want to name that I <laughs> totally got off topic here just because this, this theory of mind stuff I think is so fascinating inside of this concept of forgiveness that it seemed to me the crux in every story of acceptance was somehow accepting the other person in the context of their life like they were a child with parents who did things to them they had days where they didn't have enough to eat and may have blown up and so maybe asking yourself like why do I hold on to some things and let other things go I think that that's incredibly complex and it's like it's it's by degree you know the more proximate the person is to you the greater the harm can feel the more dependent you are on the person for community or safety or well-being the more intense the slight can be the impact you know whether it's physical or psychological i think that by degree you know the importance of the relationship turns up the depth of the harm caused by by something begging forgiveness and so I'm sure you can all think of like something that your parent did feels way more impactful than something that a stranger did it could be the exact same behavior but for whatever reason you know someone trying to shame me about something on the street say it's walking my dog off leash feels much different than my dad shaming me about something like they're just it's night and day and I think that's by degree like the the proximity to our our hearts to the relationship kind of can point towards the depth through which like it, the effort it's going to take for forgiveness in that particular relationship I had somebody ask me this week I was talking about this because I've been pretty consumed by it all week that like why isn't forgiveness more simple like maybe I've, maybe I'm just making this too complex, which is a total tendency of mine. I want to understand things. I want to break them down. Like, and that really helped me simplify it quite a bit. Is like the proximity to my heart raises the stakes of the forgiveness. And so, a quote that I, I really liked is like amends is what we're owed so I talked about that in the accountability process so say something bad happens to you or something harmful happens amends is what we're owed like whether it's to stay in relationship or as you know reconciliation and forgiveness is necessary like the deep process of going through the grief of forgiving somebody is necessary when waiting on the amends comes at too high a cost. And so I've got some circumstances in my life where I've been waiting on amends for way too long. And so going on the process of forgiving the person, while it's arduous, it the cost-benefit analysis of waiting on amends just isn't sustainable. And so going into forgiveness is really for me it's for my peace of mind it's so that i'm not carrying this anger these energetic ties to the person 
And so why forgive at all? You know, I think I've talked about this a bit. Forgiveness can be for the community. It can be for social cohesion inside of the family. It can be for, you know, workplace cohesion. I can think about any number of times where I was teaching in high schools and, you know, a teacher did something to a student who, you know, was one of my babies and for workplace cohesion so that I wasn't raising the stakes, you know, especially for the the student. If I was pissed at the teacher and the student was pissed at the teacher, we weren't going to get anywhere. And so I learned pretty quickly that I needed to figure out how to resolve those situations inside my heart so that it wouldn't impact the student negatively. And so that's a huge reason to forgive because we are communal creatures. Another one, you know, forgiveness can be for the victim or it can be for the offender. You know, the person who did the transgression, if if you have a committed relationship with someone, you can move towards acceptance and peace for both parties because there's so much shame, at least in my experience of hurting other people, there's so much shame or guilt that being seen as a whole person and being forgiven has really helped me feel more peace of mind. And there, I read a really cool study. There was, it was a Harvard study that was looking at people who had not been forgiven and all of the health issues that came from the amount of shame and guilt that they were experiencing. And so it can really be for both people. You know, I think that's, another part of why it's so ubiquitous in spiritual teachings it's like this this creates peace and love for everybody and ultimately forgiveness is for you like i don't want to continue to have these intense emotions consume me like anger sadness depression bargaining and i don't want them to consume me anymore And forgiveness doesn't mean I'm giving you absolution or a free pass to do it again, but I'm not going to continue to carry this pain with me because the cost is too high for me. And so this process of forgiving can really, it's just beneficial for everybody. (laughs) Like... And so when I was looking at this, you know, when I, when I went to break it down, like what are the pieces and what are the ingredients to forgiveness? And they could come in any number of ways, but kind of what I saw was you need to see the other person as whole. You need to see them in the context of their life. And even if that isn't available through relationship, we can do that using that part of our brain that allows us to imagine other people's minds. And I think some people are limited in this through neurological diversity, but neurodivergence. And I also think this is a skill that we can cultivate inside of ourselves through imagination play, through help from a therapist. If you struggle to empathize with other people, there's support you can get to develop that skill. If you weren't given that from your parents, there are resources for you. You know, you're not just karmically fucked. You know, so working to see the other person as whole, seeing their behaviors inside the context of their life. Um, Another huge one is just letting anger do what anger does. You know, anger, I heard the 
Sarah Montana had a really great line that anger is the fire that cauterizes your wounds. You know, you can't go into forgiveness too soon because your wounds haven't healed. And anger can really help cauterize your wounds. There's, you know, you could use a gentler approach and be like water. Water's going to clean and soothe them. It can be tepid and be very relaxing. You can let the, I think anger could, you know, elementally anger could be fire or water. It can burn. You know, I know when I get angry, I, my body gets warm. I feel my brow get a little bit firm, you know, so anger can definitely feel hot. But I think anger can also be like water, <clears throat> you know, anger anger kind of flows in whatever direction it wants to and I think there's an important difference between anger and hate hate is like stagnant water that just kind of is like a little cesspool you know it's stuff that you didn't allow yourself to feel it it doesn't have the freedom to flow it can become full of like disease and poisonous you know if like yeah just stagnant water it's just a breeding ground for bacteria and so like if you let anger flow or suit like water and let it soothe you you can you can kind of begin the process of letting it flow through you and i don't think letting it go is the right answer because it's not like something you're holding it's something that has to flow through you so letting anger do its fucking thing and 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 discerning when it's it's codified in hate I think that's that's where you could use help from a therapist or loved ones and then the ingredients it needs time it needs space you know like the grieving process you need time to completely disassociate from the thing that happened you need time to bargain with the universe about why it happened you need time to be angry you need time to be sad um, and then another thing is you really need to own your pain like really feel empathy for yourself own what happened to you like this happened to me I didn't cause it sometimes little pieces of sage burn holes in our sweatshirts sometimes other people's pain and trauma is going to hurt me whether it's in a big way or a little incremental way but this hurt I'm going to own it I'm not going to push away and be like that wasn't that big a deal and be like no that fucking sucked and accept to myself that, that that was challenging, that was hard, whether it's like a cultural social one, like a pandemic, you know, owning that this is this is hard and I I am angry at the government about how I how they handled it. And you know, I wish that this hadn't happened and I'm really sad that I've lost all these years and these opportunities to interact with my friends and my community. And now I can accept it, you know, the pandemic was, and it is, and I can move on. Like I said before, cultivate empathy. All of these things are skills that you can learn. Having been a special ed teacher, you can work by degree to learn pretty much anything. And neural divergence is an excuse, isn't an excuse for inaction. You know, if you receive feedback that you're hurting other people. <clears throat> you can't just say, well, I'm, you know, this is just the way I am. You know, it may, having learned how to do math as a neurodivergent person with dysgraphia and ADHD and a little bit of dyslexia, 
Math was really hard for me, and it took me a hundred more tries than other people my age, but I was able to do it. And that was an important lesson for me, but I feel the same way about empathy. Like, you can learn about your mind, you can learn about other people's mind through the help of therapists or professionals. You can't do it inside the silo of your own brain. None of us can. We are all infinitely susceptible to our own bullshit. And so learning how to cultivate empathy, um, understanding that some people don't cope with the challenges of life well through addiction, through trauma. Uh, and if you struggle to cultivate empathy, you can get some help. Um, yeah, and just acknowledging that forgiveness work is grief work and that not many of us are raised to know how to do it or have the emotional resilience to really go through the process, but accepting that this is not a one and done kind of thing. I don't get to say sorry and have the thing dissolve back into the ocean unless I'm an enlightened being, which I'm not. And, you know, keep sitting and meditating until it's a little bit easier. But the more I sit with my emotions, the more the easier it is for me to be with grief and let it last however long it lasts. Another thing you can do is you can make meaning or find a purpose from from your pain or your trauma. So many people that I've, part of their forgiveness journey really appeared to me was repurposing their trauma to help others and taking what they had learned or experienced to help other people in a similar position. So I think you can absolutely turn your pain and forgiveness into charity. That can help with the process and then just you know prayer praying for grace you know never whatever your religious beliefs are you can always pray for help with this stuff because it's just it's a lot it's really complicated and confusing others we like positive happy feelings we struggle with challenging emotions the arguing with what is is kind of the root of forgiveness work it's like forgiving the universe for birthing me into suffering and you know along with that suffering there's so much joy and so much peace but inside of that there's so many messy moments that are so confusing for us and for me and you can probably tell forgiveness is just an utterly confusing topic it's just mesmerizingly complex and it just really seems like one of those things that is it's one of those processes that is is touched by grace and profundity so yeah i hope you got something from this i hope this this made some kind of sense maybe there was something to walk away with there's not really a cohesive i don't have a cohesive vision of forgiveness just Kind of the murky waters we float through after we've experienced suffering whether it's independently or with another person and so i just leave you there and i think i'd like to have a conversation with some people maybe i'll see if i can find somebody to talk to about forgiveness just to bounce this off other people so that we have a little bit more dynamic thing than the, the intricate web of me trying to understand this I hope that wherever you are in your life with forgiveness and 
this process that, you know, if you're not ready to forgive someone today, don't even look at it. Take a break. If you are, you know, this has really brought up some stuff for me. You can, there was a list that uh, Carly Butler put out. Just a little inventory. Who haven't you forgiven? What do you need to get there? And can you forgive without getting those things? That kind of ties back into forgiveness being able to happen in the absence of reconciliation. Because so often the person is either somebody we don't want in our life, somebody we've decided we need some space from, or somebody who's passed on. And so I don't think that we're limited to needing the other person around us to go through this process of forgiveness for ourselves and do the grief work necessary to work through those complicated emotions. So best of luck to all of us <laughs> in this journey, just this this wild ride of being people. I hope that you got something from this. I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you at peace. And if you're not, I hope that you know you, you experience the grace of going through these processes. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you, my listeners. Thank you for making it almost an entire year of turning of the bones getting an episode out a week it's been it's been a process and i'm so i couldn't be happier that i've been doing it the i get so much from researching playing around with these ideas i appreciate all my patrons if you're getting something from the podcast and you'd like to support you can always head over to patreon.com www.patreon.com forward slash turning of the bones you can become a monthly patron you can help support this. There's a lot of work that goes into this. You could uh, buy me if you'd buy me a cup of coffee for for these conversations. This one or any one that you've enjoyed, please head over. Five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, any of that helps. If you're already a patron, I appreciate you. You can also like and subscribe. You can share this on social media. All that really gets the stuff out there. I really appreciate it. And if you can't afford or do any of those things, don't worry about it. I'm going to keep doing this. It's fun. I enjoy this process. It gives me something something to do every week, something for this, this brain of mine to noodle on. And I just appreciate the opportunity to sit down and talk at this microphone in this empty apartment with y'all. So thank you so much. can't tell you what you listening to this podcast means to me, being able to sit down and do this. And share share what I'm thinking with y'all. So I hope you all have a lovely day. Take care of yourselves. Pet a dog, scratch a cat, hug somebody you love, and be well.